Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. We're coming to you one day earlier than usual, dropping on a Wednesday, because I'm headed off to Disney World for the duration of my kids' brief spring break. This will be my first time in an airport since Super Bowl 2020. Um, My kids are actually almost aged out of Disney World. We're sneaking this one in under the wire. Uh, Now, John, you don't have kids, so I'm curious, have you ever done Disney? Uh, And in the nearly four years that I've known you, I can't recall you ever taking a real vacation. <laughs> when and where was your last true unplug, don't do any work vacation? Well, you know, Eric, I was at Disney World the year it opened, as it happened, uh, uh, circa early 1970s. And if I okay. recall correctly, Space Mountain wasn't even open yet. Or mm. if it was open, it was only like partly open. It wasn't wasn't fully formed. Uh, okay. My, my parents used to pack up four of us, five kids. My older brother was aged out, as you call it. Okay. And we'd drive for three days from Rockland County, New York, just outside of New York City, all the way to Orlando. I think we did that maybe three times in four years. And, mm. you know, my mother probably would hear from Child Protective Services now. And my father for letting all of us ride the entire way with no seatbelts and a couple of us in the back of a station wagon. <laughs> Obviously, no seatbelts back there. Um, my mother's transgression was that she'd stay back at the motel. We couldn't afford a hotel and do her knitting and sewing. And as we'd walk out to the car, I could still remember her shouting, suckers, you're all a bunch of suckers. <laughs> not a fan of Disney. And not like did we all giggle every time she did it, but it reinforced the principle that you got to live your life the way you want to live it. Sometimes people will cook something and say to me, you got to try a taste. Um, no, I don't. And I won't. And uh, as it happens, 
one of my sisters is a Disney aholic. She worked oh. for the retail store for over 20 years, a member of the vacation club, goes there three times a year, completely into it. The other sister married a Disney phobic person who hates the mouse here. Every, everything about <laughs> totally hates it. And you know what? We all get along. It's fine. You do you. I'll do me. It's all good. You know, uh, now, as far as vacation, you mentioned, yeah, it has been a while. Uh, now, the surface answer is I was the first person hired to write for usbest.com in 2018. And when you were the startup, you want to get you know started. Um, that explains 2018 and 2019. And COVID knocks out 2020 and 21, right? Except for the occasional business trip to Las Vegas or Saratoga Springs or Chicago. But the more important answer probably is that I got a severance package from the Bergen Record in the fall of 2017 that entitled me to full pay for every week up to 34 weeks mm. uh, for the 34 years I worked there until I got a new job. Yada, yada, yada. May, th <laughs> May 13th, 2018 comes along and I call into the recorded message one more time. Have them send me my last check. Less than 24 hours later, the U.S. Supreme Court invalidates PASPA, any yeah. stake in legalized sports betting. And I have been covering these events far longer than anyone else in the country. So let's just say I got a lot of phone calls that day. <laughs> and then I was a little bored after being paid not to work for eight months. Right. Uh, I believe that's what they call the luck of the Irish, Eric. <laughs> All <laughs> right. That, that does explain you've uh, built up a lot of a lot of vacation in you oh, and yeah. haven't felt yeah. a huge urge. I was worried that the, that story was building toward my last <laughs> real vacation was the last trip to Disney World as a kid or something. But OK, <laughs> no, you've, been, no, no. you've done some since then. It's funny. Your Disney trips uh, actually aren't so different from the ones that we took as a kid. We I was one of uh, four kids, not quite as large as your family, but large enough that it wasn't worth paying to fly everybody. So we did, uh, you know, road trips down there. And um, my grandmother actually lived down in Miami at the time. So it'd be more like visit her and do a day or two at, up at Orlando or that sort of thing. Um, and uh, just the one memory that comes flashing back now is from when I was old enough to drive. Uh, you know, at a certain point, my parents had four drivers and uh, five drivers instead of just two. Um, but uh, one, one of those times, I got one of the overnight shifts. And as we're going through like uh, rural Georgia or something, uh, my dad woke up from the passenger seat to see me doing over a hundred and gave me, <laughs> shot me the nastiest glare and under his breath, slow down. So, had one of those. Um, as for my trip coming up here, uh, the, the big thing for me, is making sure to get any bets in before I leave, uh, you know, yeah. flying from a state mm. with sports betting into a state without sports betting. Right. And uh, so maybe that's a, also a big part of the reason that you haven't been taking uh, many vacations uh, lately. You, you couldn't bear to leave New Jersey and miss a chance to put uh, three bucks down on that week's golf tournament, right? Now, I believe you can go to a, uh, a Seminole casino in Florida, but that's probably yeah. at least like an hour and a half from Orlando. So right. that might be a tough little sneak out. So uh, I think you're right to make the bets here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and really, I'm going to be pretty much fully disconnecting for this trip, not bringing that's my computer, um, not paying attention to Twitter. If you happen to send me a work related message on Slack, there's a high chance I'll ignore it. Um, I'm even missing a massive Saturday night of boxing, and I'll just have to catch up on it when I get home. But uh, the goal is to relax. Uh, who knows? Maybe my hair will have turned black again by the time I return. Yeah, no, I, I think it's good for everybody to shut down like that. And uh, as I say, I've had eight months off in the last four years, so <laughs> right, I'm exactly. pretty well covered. <laughs> At some point, you'll be due for vacation again. Oh, I'm but I guess there. you're not feeling okay. You're getting there. All right, yeah. good. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 189 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 188 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Nothing better than a marathon of old Gamble On episodes in your ears to help pass the time while standing <laughs> in a three-hour line to go on Space Mountain. 
<laughs> yeah, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by longtime NBA journalist and author of a brand new book about Charles Oakley. And that's Frank Isola, who he and I go back to the 1990s NBA, the glory days, as they say, uh, <laughs> the last dance and all that stuff. Um, and with the basketball playoffs tipping off this week, we'll, we'll ask Frank about the Nets, the 76ers, his thoughts on the play-in tournament, on load management and more. But first, it's been a, well, it's been a brief week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Yep, as you just said, John, it's been a brief week since our last pod, so uh, not quite as much news to choose from as usual, but we have an interesting story here to kick off the news segment. As we've covered in the past, the D.C. Lottery has a monopoly on mobile sports betting in Washington, D.C., and they contracted the betting app out to a company called Intralot. Intralot's Gambit DC app has been widely criticized, offering pricey lines, running into tech problems. And one of those tech problems made the news a couple of months ago when the iOS version of the app crashed a few hours before the Super Bowl and didn't come back online until the next day. After some negotiating and back and forth, Intralot agreed to a compensation package for the money its crash cost the DC lottery. And this week, Intralot sent the lottery a $500,000 payment. That amount was arrived at by adding up $65,000 of potential bets lost on Super Bowl Sunday, $6,300 for a free bet promotion used to assuage upset customers, and $428,700 for marketing costs to address the app's reputation damage. This is just the latest piece of bad news in an ongoing stream of disappointments with Gambit. John, what do you make of the half million dollar price that Intralot agreed to pay? And do you see the lottery perhaps trying to get out of this contract and provide betters with a different app in the near future? Yeah, I mean, this takes me back a couple of years, and I, I remotely covered some of the uh, D.C. council hearings on, you know, trying to get sports betting going. And, uh, you know, it's true what they say. You don't want to see how uh, laws and sausages are made. It was mm-hmm. uh, I did not have a good feeling about any of this going on. There was just they were all over the map and seemed to really be focused on it. Didn't seem knowledgeable. It was, uh, you know, a train wreck waiting to happen. And mm-hmm. now the train hit the hit the something, hit the, whatever trains hit. <laughs> right. so, now, I do think the lottery looks to move on and they probably should but this is like an ode to the virtues of capitalism and competitive markets though i mean if one of the two dozen or so sports betting operators in our pennsylvania or new jersey had this kind of issue well you know almost everybody has ever placed a bet has more than one account and they should so it's not that big a deal it's the monopoly that's a real problem here yeah definitely um one thing I have to note is just that the half million dollar price tag feels mm. pretty artificial. You know, yeah. when you look at it, yeah. it's like, gee, $428,700 for marketing <laughs> just happens to bring us to an even half million. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but I, I don't feel like the numbers were arrived at very scientifically. Um, part of me wants to say the DC lottery doesn't deserve a penny. They got in bed with Intralot when they had other options. Mm. And again, I don't feel bad for the folks at Intralot having to pay. You know, the tech fail happened according to Sports Handles reporting. It happened because they failed to get a certification approval that they needed from Apple in time. So a total unforced error that led to this tech mm. fail. Um, for what it's worth, I checked out Gambit DC's current lines and spreads this morning. And they actually look pretty normal. It's not like it's minus 120 both ways or anything. Today's basketball games were like minus 112 on one side and minus 105 on the other. But it it is a very clunky app to navigate. Um, it doesn't compare well with FanDuel, DraftKings, etc. 
According to DC Lottery Executive Director Frank Suarez, an interface revamp is coming. We'll see. Um, it doesn't sound like the lottery is looking to cut ties with in- Interlot just yet, but it does feel like maybe they're just one or two strikes away from a big change there. Certainly, it's crazy that more people use the retail books in DC than use the app because that happens like nowhere else in the country. And so it really speaks to Gambit not cutting it so far. Well, I thought, how, how far can you, if you live in DC, how far can you be from Delaware, Maryland, or Virginia? I mean, it's right. it's That's kind true. of a small place. So you've yeah. got that and you've got the retail at the arenas and stadiums in the, in the uh, city as well. So uh, yeah, they, I mean, these guys just, um, they don't get it. And, you know, New Hampshire intrigues me. They have a 51% tax rate, which like New York right. has, and, uh, and a monopoly. But, you know, they're they're very upfront about it. Look, this is a lottery product, a sports betting is. We're not going to give you good lines. We're not going to give you anything appealing. We're going to make a fortune on you, just like we do on the regular lottery. And so that's what the product is. It's not for betters. It's not consumer friendly. It's an idea. It's a way of, you know, raising tax revenue and, and a lot of tax revenue, you know, going back to my old, uh, you know, philosophy of uh, the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math, you know, in places like New Hampshire and D.C., the, the sports betting is a tax on people who, who don't really know better, even though you mentioned that Gambit so far doesn't have terrible lines. But uh, hang in there. If they get to keep this contract, they probably will. Well, it sounds more like from what I understand, Gambit had bad lines and maybe they've gotten better that they've realized they had to adjust. Uh, New Hampshire, I haven't actually seen it, but I, I, it's DraftKings that operates yeah. it. So I'd assume their lines there are pretty consistent with their lines elsewhere. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, that that seems one concern that people have had in various states, like, oh, the lines are going to be much worse here. And so far in most states, I, I don't think it's really been the case that the lines have been pretty consistent from state to state, with a few exceptions. I think maybe it's the Oregon app that's run by the lottery was mm-hmm. like some minus 130s both ways and stuff like that. So, um, but I, I think New Hampshire sports bettors aren't getting screwed too badly from what I can tell. Yeah, well, I think it's it's two different things. One is New Hampshire regulators and lawmakers don't care if the customers get screwed. But mm-hmm. the other is that DraftKings kind of has a... Uh, a national platform format of, of bets. So it it does work out for the consumer, but not because lawmakers trying to make sure that DraftKings does the right thing. That's right. just DraftKings making their own decision. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, all right. For our second story, we turn to my former full-time turf, now my occasional turf, online poker. Uh, Michigan made news last Thursday when it was officially welcomed by an organization called the Multi-State Internet Gaming Association into the Multi-State Internet Gaming Agreement. This means that on a date still to be determined sometime in the near future, online poker players in Michigan will be able to pool with players in New Jersey, Nevada, and Delaware. So all those players will be able to play against each other, creating bigger tournament fields and bigger prize pools and making it less likely that players will be unable able to find a game. Meanwhile, the state I live in, Pennsylvania, launched online poker more than a year before Michigan, but still isn't part of the multi-state agreement. Our colleague Gary Rothstein asked Michael Morton, who is involved in the legal work of the multi-state association, why Pennsylvania isn't part of this yet. And Morton said, quote, to be short, Michigan formally requested to join. We have not received the same from Pennsylvania. Morton said Pennsylvania initiated discussions several years ago, but those stopped when the DOJ's position on the Wire Act was put in limbo. And even though that appears to have been resolved, Pennsylvania is obviously in no rush with online poker. 
I find it all very frustrating, but of course, poker players in 45 states have it a lot worse than I do. Uh, John, thoughts on Michigan getting into online player pooling before Pennsylvania? And is Michigan a big enough state for this to inject some new life into online poker? Yeah, I would say it is. You know, from my reporting a couple of years ago on the issue of liquidity in poker markets, you know, New Jersey plus Nevada plus Delaware clearly was not enough. Mm-hmm. But Michigan, with almost 10 million residents, pretty much grows to pull enough to provide poker games at any prime hours and at various skill and pot levels. You know, that said, why barely get there when with Pennsylvania and almost 13 million population, you get an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. And uh, speaking of embarrassment, what kind of legal advice are Pennsylvania lawmakers getting? I mean, the 60 year old Wire Act. And by the way, uh, we both turned 61 late this summer. (laughs) (laughs) has pretty much been resolved in federal court in regards to any gambling across state lines except sports betting. So unless you're the ultimate nervous Nelly, uh, you know, pretty, pretty sure the Biden administration and the Department of Justice have enough other things going on their plate this year, which you can hear about in other podcasts beyond this one. (laughs) Um, Now, I do think of Michigan's arrival may tempt Pennsylvania, though, you know, remember, that Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey for all these decades have been seen as wild, wild west states when it comes to gambling initiatives. They'll let their consumers bet on anything. They're a little out there in terms of the, the national sentiment. But Michigan's more of a plain Jane state like Pennsylvania is, which is why maybe one leads to the other in going for online poker after all. I hope you're right about that. We'll see. I mean, the bottom line to this point is is that online poker just isn't a priority in Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. or obviously in any of these other states that haven't regulated online poker. But, you know, in Pennsylvania, they have the revenue numbers and they see that online casino is huge for them. Sports betting is pretty big for them. And online poker, meh. It's fine, you know, better to have it than not, but it's obviously low on the priority list. Um, I would assume Pennsylvania will eventually get into this multi-state agreement, but uh, yeah, it uh, comes down to whether Michigan is going to spur them into action or not. I wouldn't be at all surprised if for whatever reason they sit on their hands for another year or so, I guess we'll see. Um, As a Pennsylvania online poker player, I'll provide my insight into where my experience is hurt by the single state player pool. Like people mostly talk about the impact on tournaments, how instead of say 200 entries in this $20 tournament, creating a $4,000 prize pool, you could easily have a thousand entries and a $20,000 prize pool. I don't play tournaments because I don't like committing that kind of time. Um, I don't really play cash games much either. I play heads up, sit and goes and three player spin and goes because the game lasts anywhere from like two minutes to 15 minutes. That's what I'm looking for. I play exclusively for now on poker stars. Um, I tried one other site in Pennsylvania and didn't really enjoy it. So I stuck with stars stars has the most players of any Pennsylvania site. So if I'm going to find action anywhere, it would be on stars, but sometimes I sign up for a $25 spin and go or a $50 heads up sit and go. And I sit there for several minutes waiting for just one or two other players. So the game can begin and I have to give up and unregister after a few minutes. First world problems, I realize, um, not really a major issue to complain about in the big picture of life, but it shows that even in the biggest online poker state, on the biggest site in that state, there just aren't enough players to keep these games moving at all hours of the day. In the pre-Black Friday days, a nine-player sit-and-go on Poker Stars or Full Tilt, you know, featuring players from all over the world, that would fill like every three seconds. Um, so, you know, if Pennsylvania would join this compact, it makes online poker better for everyone playing in all of these states. But again, I'm not sure the bean counters in Pennsylvania care all that much. And I 
do understand why it's not a top priority for them. Yeah, well, it's true. It's not a tax revenue grab. You're not getting a significant number. That's not even going to happen. It's more of a consumer protection issue where obviously plenty of people in Pennsylvania or other states are, well, particularly other states, are playing poker uh, illegally online. And mm -hmm. there's no protection if the company goes out of business. You can't call your state attorney general and say, hey, what's going on here? So yeah. it's just a matter. It's basically courtesy to your residents that, hey, you're an adult. You can make your own decisions. We believe you're responsible for it. And uh, so we're going to let this thing happen. And good luck with that and move on. It's, it's That's all it is. But, you know, respect for uh Consumers and voters is not high on, the, high on the agenda for a lot of politicians, unfortunately. Apparently not, no. Uh, all right. Uh, we've done a mobile sports betting story and an online poker story. Let's finish with a story on brick and mortar casinos. Uh, we go to New York State for this one, as on Thursday, Governor Kathy Hochul announced the completion of the fiscal year 2023 budget, which officially includes provisions for three downstate casinos, each with a licensing fee of $500 million. It's widely assumed that a pair of existing racinos, Resorts World Queens at Aqueduct Racetrack and Empire City Casino in Yonkers, will get two of the licenses, while MGM Resorts is believed to have the inside track for the third license. Empire City is particularly interesting timing-wise because that property could apparently convert to table games and be ready to open in a span of about two weeks, making it realistic to expect a downstate New York casino to open before the end of the year. John, I know you've been tracking this story for years, so any surprises in the way it's playing out? And what is the bidding war for those licenses going to look like? Oh, this is one of the all-time poker games, so to speak, to refer mm -hmm. to the previous topic. I forget about Jacks or better to open. It's $500 million or better to open, as you noted. But there are plenty of analysts who believe the real market value here is, trying for my Austin Powers voice, $1 billion. <laughs> Anybody feel lucky? Yeah. And when you mentioned my tracking the story for years, we're talking a decade. You know, when New York originally decided on four casino licenses outside the New York City market, the two bids that would return the most tax revenue for the state clearly uh, were located in Orange County, New York, just north of the border from wealthy Bergen County, New Jersey, whose wealthiest residents even live in the northern part of the county for bonus points. Now, Governor Cuomo and his people decided that the Catskills region north of Orange County was more in need of a financial boost. So that became the closest winning bid to New York City or North Jersey. And the other three casinos were well north of that. So you fast forward, though, to 2022. And as our colleague Mark Saxon just wrote, you have Malaysian-based company Genting, which is on the verge of an upgrade at its Aqueduct Resorts World site from a racino to a full-fledged casino with live dealer table games and sports betting windows. They're going to make a fortune. The other lock for a license, though, is Yonkers Raceway, which is just a couple of miles north of Manhattan and the Bronx. And to whatever extent, Genting's Resorts World Catskills Casino draws anyone from New York City about 100 miles away. Why would anyone drive past a casino in Yonkers to, to go to a similar facility all the way up in the dirty, dancing Catskills Mountains? I don't think so. So the Catskill site has had financial problems already, like bankruptcy chatter, okay, from the get-go of opening about six years ago. Is this the death knell? I fear that it's going to be. That's going to be really bad for that region. Hmm. Uh, but finally, as for the third license, my money's on Long Island, although I've seen nobody speculate about this yet. It's another affluent market with millions of people and so far only slot machine parlors on the island. So look, there's no point in putting it on the Queens border, given Aqueduct's presence. But somewhere along the Nassau and Suffolk County line, that, I think that could work. Hmm. 
That was a, a, a nice variety of, uh, of movie references that you slipped <laughs> in there. We got Dirty Dancing, we got Austin Powers, and I, I think without naming it, when you threw in the uh, Do I Feel Lucky, you were mixing Dirty Harry and Dr. <laughs> exactly. Evil. Is that what was happening there? Dirty, dirty Dancing and Dirty Harry. In the wow, a lot of dirties. Very dirty <laughs> podcast here. I feel dirty today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't have a lot to add here. Um, you know, I talked plenty about the online poker thing. New York casinos are more your domain. I will just say... When I picture a casino in Manhattan, and I realize it's unlikely, highly unlikely, the third casino will actually be in Manhattan. But when I picture that, here comes a movie reference from me. I picture in my head Back to the Future 2 and the dystopian version of 1985 <laughs> in which Biff runs a casino. And while I am not anti-metropolitan casinos, I'm perfectly in favor of them. I'll admit that I can fully understand others recoiling at the idea of a casino in a massive city like New York. It does feel like sort of a sign that society is going the wrong way. Uh, you know, a, a Times Square casino, for example, and I realize, again, that's probably not where this is headed. But if something like that happened, to use the old uh, Sports Illustrated phrasing, that would be a, a potential sign of the apocalypse, I think. You're sending me to another movie reference, which is, you know, you know, when young people see It's a Wonderful Life, the uh, 1946 movie, I believe it is, with Jimmy Stewart and uh, his redemption and all that. Um, at one point, because he had had died in a parallel universe, uh, the town went to hell and there wound up being a Pottersville. It was like a casino district and all kinds of, you know, hookers and trippers and everything else. Right. And like young people like that looks fun. That looks like, like <laughs> Las, that's like Las Vegas. Like that. That's cool. It, it, it looks so boring, you know, beforehand. Now they finally got something that's worth, you know, hanging out and having a good time with. And uh, like, that's not really the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that's really bad. It's bad. But, uh, you know, young people going to young people. So that's how it goes. <laughs> well, it's time to uh, return to our recurring topic of uh, classic movies that one of us hasn't seen, never seen It's a uh, Wonderful Life. Never uh, seen it. I'm, Ju I'm Jewish. What can I tell you? It's a Christmas uh, movie, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you're missing out. You're missing out. <laughs> All right, maybe. Maybe someday I'll check it off the, the old bucket list, perhaps. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. NBA play-ins are underway and the formal 16-team playoffs start this weekend, which makes this a great time to talk about the NBA. Uh, certainly a far better time than when ESPN was televising remote video feed horse during lockdown, which is what was going on the last time we had this week's guest on the podcast. You know him from ESPN's Around the Horn, Sirius XM Radio, The Yes Network, various New York newspapers. He is Frank Isola. Frank, welcome back to Gamble On. Gentlemen, what's going on? on uh just excited for some basketball that that means something here and i want to i want right. to start with the team that you cover for yes uh the brooklyn nets and uh the timing is a bit tricky because we're recording this interview on tuesday they play tonight this podcast drops on wednesday so they might have claimed the seven seed or they they might have to play again <laughs> friday to claim the eight seed yep. but i think most people assume that they will make it in one way or the other and i'm curious for your big picture thoughts with them um they still have the third shortest odds to win the title, shorter than 11 teams that finished with better records than they did. Can the Nets put it together and go on a run and ultimately justify those well, short it, odds? It all comes down to one number, number seven, and that's Kevin Durant for the Brooklyn Nets. That's just a different level player that they have. And, you know, you look at what the team did when he was injured at went five and 16 in those 21 games that he missed when he had the knee injury. They basically fell apart. They just couldn't win without him. 
You look at Memphis, they won, they, they won without John Morant. The Warriors didn't really win without Steph Curry. They, you know, when you have that kind of talent, you need it out on the court. It's going to be tough, though. If you look at, you know, look at the brackets with, you know, they're going to be on the road the entire playoffs, whether it's Miami, whether it's Boston, whether it's Milwaukee. And let's say you get out of that good chance you'll play Phoenix. It's going to be very difficult, I think, for them to all of a sudden just turn it on and win four series. Okay. And, and, and how big of a difference does a little bit of a theoretically rusty Ben Simmons make? Do you see him swinging anything if they are able to get him into some games, say middle of the, of the first round series? Yeah. So to me, that, that that's complicated. You know, the last time that he played, I believe he went 15 of 45 from the free throw line against Atlanta. He hasn't played since June 20th. So now you're going to tell me he doesn't play for the national team for Australia. He doesn't go to training camp and play in preseason games. He doesn't play in any regular season game. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to stick him out there for important playoff games and expect him to produce. I get it. He can defend. He can rebound. He can run an offense. But what's going to happen late in quarters, especially late in the fourth quarter? Are you going to have him out there? Because now teams could intentionally foul him with more than two minutes to go send him to the free throw line and dare him to make free throws. The last time we saw him play, couldn't make free throws and wouldn't shoot the ball. I don't know if that's been solved yet, but you could say it's been solved, but he hasn't been out there since June 20th. Frank, I want to give you a chance to channel your inner curmudgeon if you've reached that stage. Right, we'll find go. out. <laughs> and one of them is the, the play-in game and the play-in game, the play-in series, and then also uh, load management. I got to tell you, I hated the play-in idea at first, but I actually have warmed up to it. I think that, you know, you're really seeing that six are real playoff teams and then you got to get this extra round. It's a real problem. And I, I realize it, it keeps more teams in the hunt later and all that, but uh, I'm kind of okay with that load management. You know, we go back to the 1990s and Michael Jordan's playing all 82 games and, and is absolutely hating to lose any game, even if they've clinched the number one seed and all that. Yeah. So uh, are, how do you feel on those two topics? Well, the, my, my thing about the play in tournament, so you look at the, the four teams in the Eastern Conference. All of them are above 500. You have two teams that were tied for really ninth and 10th and two teams that were tied for 7th and 8th. So at least it's close. So there's some integrity there. I don't think that New Orleans and San Antonio have any business being in the playoffs. Why does Minnesota, which finished 10 games better than New Orleans, and I think it's 11 games better than San Antonio, have to be in a similar tournament as them? You want to make it such where if the teams are close, you know, maybe it's one or two games. But for me, you're you're diminishing the regular season, which feels like it's already been diminished already. So to your point about load management, you know, the Nets knew, well, if we fall in a tenth and we have to win two road games, we could probably do that. So they were able to kind of manage their way through the end of the regular season. And, and that's why guys were missing games. I think there was a stat where there were more player games missed this year than any other year. I don't get it. You know, you had Ben Simmons didn't play. John Wall was healthy, didn't play one game, made $40 million. I say this all the time, and Adam Silver brought it up last week about our star. An issue we have is our stars don't play enough. I would say that it's the only sports league in the world where that's a problem. I don't think it's a problem for basketball leagues and other parts of the world. I don't think it's a problem with the NFL. I don't think it's a problem for baseball. I don't think it's a problem for hockey. I don't think it's a problem for soccer. It's the NBA where the stars don't play enough. That's an issue. Yeah, and the NBA is, uh, of course, was one of the five sports organizations. They sued New Jersey in 2012, and six years later, the Supreme Court uh, ruled in favor of allowing sports betting in any state. And the, the mantra is always integrity. It's all about the integrity of the game. I mean, how much integrity is there when, you know, somebody spends 400 bucks on uh, seats for the family, and then it's one thing if the player's injured, nothing you can do about it. That's that's that's, that's understood by everybody. But the idea that, uh, yeah, I don't feel like playing tonight, so you don't get a refund. I mean, and also the, from the gambling aspect, I mean, 
inside information is so easily available. Yeah, it's one yeah, thing yeah. if you know that the great players are going to play every game, except when they break their hand or whatever, you know, they're not going to play for X amount of weeks. And maybe there's one game where it's borderline, whether they're back Sunday or they're back on Tuesday. But here every day in any game, uh, there's liable to be a decision made at some point. And if, if that information goes out to gambler before it goes out, otherwise they get a great line and have a great chance to win the game. So this is not helping integrity of the NBA. That's for sure. Yeah, and I would do a couple of things. Number one, all right, so you brought up guys missing games. You know, there was a, a scene about a month ago, six weeks ago, where the Warriors were in Denver, and it was a makeup game, and then they were going to return a couple of days later and play again, and Steph Curry wasn't playing, and there was the video of the young girl who's a big Steph Curry fan. She was crying that he wasn't available. The very next game, or Steph Curry went over to talk to her and got her tickets, and yeah, it's a nice story, and the Warriors are a first-class organization. No question about it, but – that happens to, you know how many kids that happens to who show up at games and they don't get the same treatment? So, yes, this one story was nice, but it's happening to a lot of people. The other thing I would do, have a minimum. If you don't play in, let's come up with a number, and 70 isn't a crazy number because you still miss 12 games. You're not eligible for the MVP. You're not eligible for All-NBA, any of these postseason awards. Because let's remember, money is tied into that, especially All-NBA. So have there be a baseline there. And the other thing I would do is have, forget averages, scoring averages. Let it be total points, rebounds, and assists. Trey Young led the league in total points and total assists. He's the lead, the league leader, in my opinion. Just like if Tom Brady leads the NFL in touchdown passes, I don't care about the the most the average most average the most. I care about the total. If I'm the NBA, I do that because maybe on the second out of back to backs, guys might say, you know what? I'll play. Maybe I'll, I'll be available for the final tw- the the second half. I'll play twenty of the last twenty four minutes. What would be wrong with that? I think the fans would appreciate that. I think that's good curmudgeon stuff. You you're, uh, you're, you passed the test. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and and while I can't argue at all with the logic of the scoring title goes to the guy who actually scores the most points, it would take away the scoring, scoring title this year from the guy yes. who plays for my team, Joel Embiid. So I have to be opposed to it this year, but maybe uh, maybe and, next year we can enact that. And, and Eric, that's why I appreciate LeBron James. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because here we are. We want the guys to play. But LeBron could have played the last two games and he could have won the scoring title. And I felt it was beneath him. He actually used that line. He said, I think it's beneath me. He's already won Mm -hmm. a scoring title. That to me has no integrity. He would have played 58 games and won the scoring title over Trey, who I believe played in 77 games. And oh, by the way, I know they're in ninth place. They're also 43 and 39. So they they also had a winning record. So what Trey Young did this year, he deserves to be rewarded for that, as opposed to guys that only played in 50 plus or low 60s. In right. the case of your guy, Embiid. Right. All right. Well, coming back to my guy, Embiid, and, and his team, the first round series that I'm most invested in emotionally and yep. somewhat invested in financially uh, is my Sixers against the Raptors. And I was kind of surprised to see the Raptors open as high as plus 170 to win the series. Maybe this is just my Philly pessimism coming out, but they seem a terrible matchup for the Sixers. The Thibel factor is significant. Yep. I think it's a coaching mismatch. Do you agree with me that Toronto should be much closer to even money to win this series? Yeah, I agree, especially when you have guys that have been through it before. So you have Pascal Siakam, who was a huge part of a championship team who disappeared the last two years, but has had a remarkable season this year. You have Fred Van Vliet. There's a toughness about their team. They're well coached. They defend. And let's also remember this. Philadelphia, with Embiid and Harden, you have you know, one could be the MVP. One's been an MVP before, but there's a lot of pressure on them, just like there's a lot of pressure on Doc Rivers to get out of this round. So I, I think that Toronto, the way that they played, 
here's a gambling term. They're kind of playing with house money, I think. And mm. the fact that they've kind of been through it before, I don't think that they worry about going on the road. They've been in big playoff games. Yes, some of their younger players like Scotty Barnes, but that's a well-coached team that has all the confidence in the world. Yeah, that's a great point about the playing with house money, that there really is no pressure, no expectation yep. coming into the season. They were like a borderline to even make the playoffs kind of team, whereas the Sixers, once they went all in for Harden, suddenly the pressure is there that I'd say anything short of the that's Eastern right. Conference finals is kind of a disappointment for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look at Harden's numbers down the stretch. I mean, he was really struggling to shoot the ball. This, to me, you know, he forced his way out of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of pressure on him. And Beads talks so much about being the MVP. All right, but get to a conference finals for once in your career. And we know the situation with Doc Rivers. His name is already out there for other jobs. If it doesn't work out here, maybe it'll work out in L.A. So, again, a lot of three, a lot of pressure on those three guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Frank, I want to talk about your book. And I, I got to tell you, I, I didn't memorize the title. This is about uh, former Bulls and Knicks rebounding machine, Charles Oakley. It's called The Last Enforcer, Outrageous Stories from the Life and Times, One of the NBA's Fiercest Competitors. So uh, I am going to be asking about how many books you've had published. But also, uh, I think one, one of those things that uh, certain fans want to know about is how well do we know the players, right? We we're both covering the NBA going yeah. back to the 1990s. I mean, I was invited to Kenny Anderson's uh, wedding reception, which was kind of weird. It was going to be on a South Street seat. Port, uh, like a, a big yacht going out into the ocean or into the river, actually. And I remember that it was weird because this is a couple of years before the Minnesota Vikings had that infamous party boat trip. Yeah, but yeah. We, we sort of thought of that, like, wait a minute. Hey, now what are we doing? We can't it's not, you can't stop in at a reception hall for a half hour and then leave. You're yeah, stuck yeah. the whole time. Uh, and then also, what do you get? Kenny Anderson, a toaster. I mean, the guys, the guys <laughs> making three million bucks a year and we don't yeah, have any yeah, money. Yeah. You know, beat guys. So uh, and I've been to Jason Wim's 27,000. Southern Square Foot Mansion a number of times before that was tragically the scene of a crime. Um, when Stephen Marbury got traded, he he actually had us over to his house and he gave a couple of us that he knew better, like a big man hug. And that was awkward because I don't know. I, I don't know if that's where we're going, you know, um, but to talk a little bit about not only the books you've written and then also this one and relationship with players. And then finally, they're famous in New York media circles. 25 years ago, the uh, Cleveland All-Star game that we covered uh, and and you had a particularly interesting evening with the Oakley family, I believe. Yeah, well, it, that was when the All-Star game was there. In fact, the All-Star game was in Cleveland this year. So that yeah. was, you know, the anniversary of it. But I had said to him maybe a week before that it's, a, you know, I lied. I said, it's a tradition. If the All-Star game <laughs> is in your hometown, you have to host all the beat riders. And he came to me a, a couple of days later. He said, well, who's going to be there? Where are you staying? And then he said, I'll pick you up Friday night at six o'clock. Sure enough, he came over, picked us up. We went to a... <laughs> Uh, a nice little restaurant that he brought us to his house where his mom was cooking for him and a bunch of his friends. There had to be 30 people there. No NBA players, just his friends. So that was like, I think he wanted to show us, you know, where he came from, introduce us to his mom and his sisters. And the one thing about Oakley, when you covered him and you knew this, John, you know, Charles was the kind of guy, you know, he would fight you all the time. So he would, he might be mad about something you wrote. He might not talk to you for a week. And then he eventually would get over it. He would do this a lot where he, yeah. We'd be around his locker after a game. We would quote him. Then the next day he would deny that he said it and we'd hold <laughs> up the tape recorder. Charles, we have it right here. Uh, maybe you shouldn't have wrote it like that. You know, but he was always, <laughs> yeah. that was always kind of the way that he was. He liked dealing with the media. He was a funny quote and he was always a compelling guy because he was getting in fights all the time. So it was always something to write about. Yes. Yeah, so how'd you get, how'd you get the idea for this book? And the, well, again, I know you wrote a book at least 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, he, his people, you know, he has people, they actually reached out to me mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it had to do with the success of The Last Dance, where there was kind of this nostalgia for the 90s, 
and the Bulls and Michael Jordan. And obviously Charles has an interesting story because he started out with the Bulls, played against him with the Knicks, could never beat Michael Jordan. They traded Charles. They won a championship without him. He reunited with Michael Jordan. You know, his career always kind of crisscrosses with Michael Jordan because he, he then worked for him in Charlotte, played with him again in Washington. And, you know, Charles just has a lot of interesting stories coming up from a you know, historical black college, small school, Virginia Union. Nobody really knew about him. He's very loyal to Jerry Krause. You know, he was upset that a lot of people didn't go to Jerry Krause's funeral because he felt that Jerry Krause built the great championship team. He's a very loyal guy. He's an interesting guy. He holds a grudge. He kills Charles Barkley all the time. He wants to fight him still. But that's kind of the way Charles is. Oh, great stuff. So one more quick question before we let you go. Yep. Uh, us sports media folks, when we have a good headshot taken, we stick with it, even if we no longer resemble the guy yeah. in the photo. Oh, I'm God. a member of this club on Twitter. My headshot is from 2012. It'll it'll turn 10 yeah. later this year. But I think you might have me beat. Oh, Do you happen to know what God. year your Twitter headshot is from? I'm trying to think when that was taken. It's definitely a long time. You know what? I'm going to get a change because too many people bring it up. And you, you, you guys, I'm not, I'm not big. I don't know how to work any of this stuff. It took me forever to figure out the picture anyway. So everyone kills me. So I'm going to, I've meant to change it before. I, you know what I really want to do? I want to put a picture of my dog there. Like a lot of people have. Oh, so okay. I'll see if I, you know, I got to find right. a funny picture. Well, I always take a bad picture. So that, that won't be a problem. But just for you, Eric, I'm going to change my picture to make well, you happy. Well, I, I appreciate that. But so officially on the record, your your ex, ex, explanation is that, that it's not intentional. It's technological failings. It's not that yeah, you're trying 100%. to present a younger version. No, of no. Everybody see, I'm on, I'm on TV all the time. Everybody knows how bad I look. Don't have to look at my picture. But to your point, it's definitely older than 10 years. So I do have. OK, one. Uh, I was going to say Frank has an age, so I didn't notice any difference at all. Well, I got the sisters <laughs> over there somewhere. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah there, there it is. There it's it is. right behind no, you. Right. There it is. <laughs> That's yeah. what. So Charles Oakley ages, but yeah, but yeah you I, don't. I get younger. I'm Benjamin <laughs> Button of sports writer. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking a little time to talk to us, Frank. Always great to have you on the podcast and uh, enjoy the playoffs. Hey, guys, thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Frank. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And unfortunately, the Masters tournament was not kind to us. Uh, John had small bets on <sighs> Smith, Zalatoris, M, and Kepka to win all but Kepka were in contention at one time or another, but none of them won the Masters. So that's $100 lost. And we lost another $105 on your bet last week on Zalatoris, Kepka, and Burns to all make the cut. You dabbled in the parlay life and it didn't go well. Um, my bets were just about even Steven. Celtics plus six against the Nets was a push. Uh, although I'm calling it a bad beat push as the Celtics unexpectedly rested Tatum and Horford then still had a cover easily in hand, leading by three with under two minutes to go, but they got outscored 9 nothing the rest of the way and lost by exactly six. Oh. So that bet is refunded, and I split my boxing bets. Tony Harrison as the mispriced plus 200 underdog against Sergio Garcia was an easy winner for a $100 profit, but Erickson Lubin as the minus 145 favorite got stopped by Sebastian Fundora, costing us $110. So we lost 10 bucks on boxing, we lost $215 overall for the week. 
We're now down by $3,433. Uh, we also have $835 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $5,732 to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I'm going to do one bet on a first round NBA playoff series. Um, I have not seen anyone present any kind of case as to why the Bulls will be remotely competitive with the Bucks. The Bucks seem to play the final day of the regular season specifically with the aim of landing the three seed so they could get a much easier matchup than either the two seed or four seed would get. And it worked out. Uh, the Bucks swept the four game season series between these two teams, including winning the last two by 28 and 21 points. The Bulls just weren't the same team without Lonzo Ball once he went down. The key Bucks players are all healthy, and I can find pricing on the series spread of Bucks minus two and a half games, meaning the Bucks win either four to one or four nothing at minus 170. Granted, I could go for the Bucks sweep and get plus money, but I could see regretting that when there's one game in yeah. Chicago where the Bulls shots are falling and the Bucks mm -hmm. shots aren't and the Bulls are getting all the calls and so they steal one. But uh, this matchup is really bad for the Bulls. They don't have the outside shooting to give Milwaukee trouble. I'm confident the Bucks advance in five or fewer. So let's bet $170 to win 100. All right. And uh, I noticed we're one third of the way home from going tilt, Eric. Uh, I did learn a few <laughs> things from my master's picks, though. You know, first, parlays are mostly for fools. And I guess I need a smack in the face once a year as a reminder. Uh, second, my struggles with betting on golf were not for the lack of acumen, but on poor betting strategy. I had players that finished tied for third, sixth, and eighth. And two of them were not even top 12 to win. So decent prices that I just gone top 10 there. Yeah. So I said I expected to have at least one player with a shot to win as they turn for home on Sunday. And I did with Cameron Smith. I would have to bet several golfers to win every week and then finally hit that to erase a lot of sins, but I'm not going to do that. So okay. uh, it was just poor strategy rather than poor picking. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the PGA tour goes to South Carolina this week and uh, looking at a couple of uh, foreign players that I like, and I'm uh, retreating to top 20 finishes. Uh, okay. I've got uh, Shane Lowry of Ireland, even money. I'll go 50 units on that. And um, it's a great course for him. He had a good finish at the masters. He's uh, really a grinder. He's looking to win a tournament, um, but I'm just not feeling that uh, aggressive this week. I, top 20 I have no problem with and then I'll go 70 units actually on Corey Connors of Canada who by the way our guests recently uh, Justin uh, uh, had as a mispriced 65 to 1 for the Masters and he finished in the top 10 mm -hmm. uh, he's playing really well and I can get uh, plus 120 on him so 70 at plus 120 for Corey Connors and uh, 50 at even money on uh, Shane Lowry both top 20s all right. Um, I have two boxing bets. Uh, it's a big boxing weekend and I'll miss the whole thing, but uh, no reason I can't bet it. Uh, mm -hmm. The main event of Saturday's pay-per-view is Errol Spence Jr. versus your Dennis Ugas. I don't love the price on either side, but I do like the minus 220 price on the fight to go the distance. I think it's very unlikely there's a knockout here. They're both excellent defensive fighters. Spence's last three bouts have all gone the full 12. Ugas has gone the distance in five of his last six. This one is going to a decision. Let's bet $88 to win 40. And then one of the undercard fights, a tremendous one between Rajab Butayev and Amanta Stanyonis. The books are calling it a coin flip. Uh, Butayev opened as a minus 115 favorite to minus 105 for Stanyonis. That has now flipped and Butayev is minus 105. A little better price for us because uh, I like the Butayev side. He beat Stanyonis twice in the amateurs. He has a real pain in the ass style. Let's go $105 to win 100 on Butayev to win the fight. 
All right. I'm going to be writing a USFL preview later this week that you won't read, but, uh, <laughs> and I'll reminisce about attending real USFL games in my relative youth. And I got a jump start on research to come up with a pick here as the season opens on Saturday. We actually won money, as I recall, on the Alliance of American Football betting. And in fact, you had Houston title pick was headed in the right direction when a damn league folded late in the season. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's try it again on bad football. Um, I would be remiss if I did not choose for you the Philadelphia Stars 2.0 squad nice. at, plus, at plus 600 for 50 units to win the eight-team league. This is a reunion of some players and coaches from a title-winning something called Spring League in 2020. So maybe that helps the Stars get up to a fast start and they hold on to it. I don't know. The whole the whole league, by the way, every game is played in Birmingham. I, I can't explain that, but that's what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this is a team effort. Uh, we're allowed to help <laughs> each other out with our bets. I'll note that I actually, in real life, bet the Stars, uh, as well as the Breakers. I put a little on both of them to sort of hedge, but um, at they were at plus 650 on points bet. Oh, so uh, nice. I'm going to go ahead and uh, say that that odd shopping uh, applies here let's okay, bump your, sure. your uh, return up to plus 650 all right we're we're both uh, stars fans uh, this season <laughs> uh, count me in and that'll do it for this episode of gamble on thanks to everybody out there for listening and thanks again to our guest frank isola you can find me on twitter at eric raskin and john at bergen brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on spreaker apple podcast spotify or anywhere else and with that john please take us out yeah following up on last week we did have our 38th annual rotisserie league baseball auction on saturday and it was glorious i mean 11 old faces and i do mean old and one new one doesn't even have an aarp card yet um now the modern thinking is obviously football and a draft and online but you all are missing out it's been a delight to see so many of us grow old together and literally all except the new owner has from 20 to 38 years experience in this league and if anyone thinks there isn't an element of gambling well Right away, injured Mets ace Jacob DeGrom's name comes up. Maybe like me, you don't want to win the betting, but when he's at five, six, eight units out of 260 total, you have to keep paying attention. Now, once somebody bids 16, as they did, you can move on. But otherwise, you have to pay attention for a little bit because, uh, you know, if, if the price is right, you got to consider it. Or how about Trevor Bauer? <laughs> Will he ever pitch again? How would your team's mythical fan base react if you owned him? Well, one owner paid five units to find out. The DeGrom owner also bought one-armed pitcher Steven Strasburg for nine. I wonder if he loves 10-leg parlays, too. I feel like he does. <laughs> More importantly, we're back together in person for the first time in three years, reflexively returning to the same old poker-like tells. You know, I groaned when I made a late bid for a player late in the auction, and two owners immediately said, now we know he really wants this guy. You know, they're not wrong. <laughs> they know. So uh, in person is harder than online, and auction is harder than a draft. But something to think about is that those are features, not bugs. And with that, until next time, gamble on.